Oh, good morning. Thanks for being here today as we get into our second week going through the Gospel of Mark by paying special attention to his sandwiches. The stories about Jesus that he tells um, that are interrupted by teachings or sometimes other stories and then resumed. Uh, Megan started this series out last week by talking about the best sandwich she ever had, which also happens to be mine, uh, which if you weren't here last week was what they call a debris sandwich in New Orleans, where all the meats they have on hand and some left over from the day before with melted and all the cheese. Oh, Verde Mart's the best place in the world. But my second favorite sandwich has to be leftover Thanksgiving sandwiches, which is basically just the same thing. Uh, but with less meat and more stuffing and cranberry sauce. Uh, one year, we didn't have any leftovers for sandwiches, and it almost ruined Christmas and the following year. <laughs> My third favorite kind of sandwich is, no, wait, this could take all morning. Uh, I should probably get to the scripture. Today, we're picking up a little after we left off with Mark last week. It's a grilled cheese with at least four kinds of cheese, plus mayonnaise. You can even use mayonnaise to, instead of butter. Gets the outside of the bread nice and brown. Anyway, you know, Jesus probably never ate a grilled cheese sandwich, <laughs> which is just one of the ways he suffered. <laughs> but speaking of which, let's get back to, to Jesus. Okay, last week... In Mark 2, Jesus was teaching in a house, and he had become so famous uh, that uh, four friends who wanted Jesus to heal their paralyzed friend uh, broke into that house through the roof. Uh, now, that level of fame was a threat to the other teachers and leaders in the area. Um, so they started to resent Jesus. Uh, they also started to follow what he did very, very closely, because that is a thing that people do. Uh, there are some people that you dislike so much that you need to know what they're doing at all times. There's a word for that today. It's known as hate following. <laughs> hate following is when you follow someone on social media, even though you hate them or hate what they stand for, uh, and so you, you can't help but, but follow them. Sometimes it's also just called reading the newspaper. Uh, for the folks that hate follow Jesus, though, uh, they had to put a little more effort in. They had to actually follow him around or get other people to do it for them. So they heard or saw that after Jesus healed the paralyzed man in that house with the brand new skylight, uh, and forgave his sins that he then went to a tax collection booth and called the man operating it to come and be his newest disciple. And he did. And that night, uh, this new disciple threw a dinner party for him and invited all of his tax collector friends, and they all just had an amazing time. But you know what hate followers always say when you're having a great time. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? Who does he think he is? 
and maybe at the root of it all, why doesn't he want to be one of us? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. And if we didn't have a sandwich to get to, I could make a meal out of that. But there's one more bit of context to look at before we get to today's sandwich, which is what comes next in Mark. Uh, It says, verse 23 of chapter 2, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. Uh, The key detail here isn't where they were, but what day it was. It was the Sabbath, the day when no one could do any kind of work. It was, and sometimes I think it should be still, uh, a whole day set apart to God. But it's not for a lot of the same reasons that Jesus and the Pharisees get into an argument here. Because someone always wants to take something good and turn it into something ultimate. Uh, a test of who's in our club and who's not. Who do we like and who do we hate? That happens here. It says, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. They were in such a hurry to get to their next opportunity to teach and to heal that they were taking a shortcut through a grain field. Uh, and they were hungry and the food was right there. One of our uh, commentaries said that this kind of situation was actually really up for debate in Judaism about whether or not it was a Sabbath Sabbath violation anyway. So the Pharisees said to him, uh, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answers them like the rabbi that he is having a debate with other rabbis. He says, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. There are always exceptions, Jesus says. People being hungry is more important than religious rules. You should already know that. It's in the Bible, he says. And then he concludes it with as pithy of a summary as anyone could come up with. He says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. Succinct, right? It's a slam dunk. You cannot with. And if he had just stopped there, he might have won them over. He didn't. He said what he said next. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I mean, awesome and amen. But that's a big statement. It's true. Jesus knew it was true. And after his resurrection, so will everyone who believes. But those Pharisees sure didn't know that that was true. 
And that is a lot to drop on people who hate follow you. This statement did not set Jesus up to make peace with the Pharisees anytime soon. We're just about to get to the sandwich where this whole thing comes to a head. But before we do, let's talk about what Jesus is doing here and whether or not we are supposed to follow in his footsteps. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life, call it most of the time, when I wanted everyone to like me. A lot. The best way to get my attention was to seem like you didn't like me. I'd ignore my actual loved ones because someone somewhere who didn't really know me at all didn't like me. I felt like I'd do just about anything to get them to like me again, to earn their respect. I rationalized it as being like a a peacemaker, being humble. But do you know who I really was? I was Charlie Brown. (laughs) Trusting Lucy yet again to hold the football so I could kick it. But she never will. Some people just want to control you. And nothing you do will ever be good enough for them. And even if you do everything right, they still might just pull the football away anyway, just because they can. And if you say or do something that they do disagree with, you're right back where you were with them to begin with. Jesus doesn't do that here, does he? Jesus doesn't bend to try and reconcile with people like that. Instead, he clarifies his beliefs so there is no room for misinterpretation. He takes the opportunity to say very clearly what he believes. Sometimes that's the most important thing you can do. Sometimes we don't need to make friends. Jesus sure didn't. I think we should be more like Jesus. So that's the context for today's story. Now we're ready for the sandwich. Uh, Like the last one, it's going to be another public healing done while Jesus is teaching. Ready? Let's get into it says, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Having a withered hand meant, for one thing, that this man couldn't do much work. Uh, He couldn't provide for himself and his family nearly as well as he could if he had two functioning hands. It also meant that he was seen as less than, as unclean, when it came to his religion. There were offerings that he could not make for himself. 
uh, he was second class. And yet here he is worshiping God all the same, doing what he was allowed to do, worship in the synagogue. And Mark says they watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. I think that uh, Mark is saying that Jesus' hate followers were watching the man with the withered hand, not Jesus. Giving him the, the side eye, whispering about him. They're not talking to him, they're talking about him. He's just a pawn to them, but not to Jesus. And he said to the man, that's the toothpick in the sandwich, who had the withered hand, come forward. Another translation of come forward uh, renders Jesus saying this as rise into the midst. Kind of fancy. But I checked out the Hebrew and it actually does say something like arise into the middle, like stand up where you are. But there's a, also a, a, a which is a cooler move than just saying, come up here. But, but it also, all these people are looking at this man, side-eyeing him like he's an object. But then Jesus speaks to the man and tells him to arise in the middle of the group that he is in, to stand up and take his rightful place in the middle of his people. I think that's neat. So the one that everyone was watching, maybe even watching maliciously, is now standing up in the middle of the room. Maybe he's cradling his withered hand. Now here comes the meat in the sandwich. Or maybe it's peanut butter and jelly. That's my fourth favorite. Anyway, here's the filling. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? I mean, they already know the answer to this rhetorical question. Of course the Sabbath is meant for doing good. Of course it's meant for saving life. It's a sign of their covenant with God. Of course it's meant to show who they really were as God's people. But they were silent. They had no answer because Jesus had them dead to rights. Their silence was as deafening as it still is. Whenever people are silent in the face of harm done to others, either directly or through neglect for the cause of political power. That's all the Pharisees really cared about. And you'll see that directly in a few verses. But I can't help but think that Jesus is saying this to churches all across our community. This morning. 
I mean, how many sermons are being preached right now and how many heads are nodding along in agreement that are doing harm to people? That are scapegoating people. That are assassinating people's character and casting them as less than, as unclean. Is that right? Or is it wrong? And if it's wrong, what are we doing about it? Are we silent? Are we trying to make peace with them? Are we giving them the benefit of the doubt? Just one more or just five more times because this time, maybe they'll let us kick the football. Well, look at how Jesus felt about them then. It says he looked around at them with anger. Just imagine that. Jesus of Nazareth, standing at the front of a modest room, staring daggers at the people he's preaching to. He's not trying to see things their way. What they are not doing is wrong. And he's rightfully angry about it. There's someone there who needs healing. And they believe the right thing to do is to do nothing because of what day it is. That makes Jesus angry, and so should you be. Anytime someone says that people should be hungry or shouldn't get health care because of the way it might make someone else feel, you should be angry. And grieved. Jesus was too. It says he was grieved at their hardness of heart. Grief, sadness, loss. It is a loss for them and for their communities that they are acting this way. What was Jesus grieved at? At their hardness of heart. The same word is used for calloused. They just don't feel for people anymore. Their senses are dulled. They just don't care. It made Jesus feel grief and a lot of anger. That's the end of the meat. It's not much meat, but it does have a particular flavor. In the middle of doing the right thing, Jesus makes sure that people who disagree with him, who hate follow him, are paying attention. Not to change their minds, but to clarify his 
position and to make that position ours too. The meat's followed by another toothpick, and here it is. And it's simple. It just says, and he said to the man, same one as before, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Didn't matter what day it was, and it sure didn't matter that it mattered a great deal to some people what day it was. Jesus did the right thing because it was the right thing. No matter the consequences. And I do need to point out here that Jesus didn't actually do any work that was prohibited in the Old Testament on the Sabbath. He didn't even touch the man. He broke with their traditions and expectations. Most importantly, he showed the Pharisees that their power was only real if people paid attention to them or tried to compromise with them. And then in the next verse, they show their true colors. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Obey or die. That's the point of their religion and their politics. In the end, it's not about God or the community or even keeping their tradition pure because when they see that there's a person they can't control, the the Pharisees immediately go out and they conspire with their enemies to kill the person who threatens their power. Herodians is Mark's word for those who work with Rome, who are collaborators uh, within Herod's kingship that he secures by submitting to Caesar. The Pharisees hate everything that the Herodians stand for, but yet here they are working with them to destroy the one who wouldn't submit to them. And all it took for them to do it was hear the one word that they couldn't tolerate. No. Jesus went out of his way to say no to people who didn't get told that very much. He had everything to gain from playing ball with these people, or at least not offending them. And he had everything to lose by opposing them. And yet he still chose to tell them no. There is power in resistance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knew a thing or two about resistance, wrote that Christianity stands or falls with its revolutionary protest against violence, arbitrariness, and pride of power, and with its plea for the weak. Christians are doing too little to make these points clear rather than too much. Christendom adjusts itself far too easily to the worship of power. Christians should give more offense, shock the world far more than they are doing now. Christians should take a stronger stand in favor of the weak rather than considering first the possible right 
of the strong. There are so many people who want to control us, what we do and what we say, including our own instincts sometimes, even our own understanding of our religion. But this week, let's remember what Jesus did here. He he didn't just let things go. He didn't let them slide. He said no to people who needed to hear it but he also didn't get distracted from his work. He healed a man who was an outcast. He ate with the other outcasts. He did both. So can we. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to say no to all the Lucys in the world who want to bend us to their wills. Help us to be like Jesus, to love like he does, and to stand up like he does too. In his name we pray. Amen.